Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. If you're new today and this is your first time in this series, this is the sixth installment in our series on margins. Uh, bring into it very quickly. We find a margin statement at the very beginning. It's the space that we have between our activities and our limitations. And the idea is that we create that space intentionally for reasons that would spiritually help us, that we have space in our lives and our time for God because God's found in the margins. He's not found out on the middle of a freeway going crazy, okay? Time for our family. Time for the relationships that are important. That's a margin we have to create. Time in our morals and uh, our space in our morals because the world tells us and the culture tells us, hey, don't worry, you just, whatever feels good, you do it. And God says, no, there should be some margins there. And we talked about that. We talked about relations. We talked about money last week. So for you who are new, so you won't think this is the only topic we, ha- we talk about here today, it's the second part on this money margin. And it's the idea that there is a limitation to everything, our time, our money. And if we live at the limitations of it all the time, and especially in the money area, we go over our limitations, we're going to find ourselves very frustrated. In fact, we're going to find ourselves very absorbed within ourselves, self-centered people, because it's always about me, about my time. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. And before you know it, our whole focus is on ourself, and we miss the very heart of God where he says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why this series is important, to bring us back to center, a space and a margin in our lives to focus on what God wants us to, all right? So today's our second installment on money. And um, next week, we'll have another installment on a different topic. And then in a couple weeks, we'll do it again. And we'll start to close this series. So let me help you with the money margin definition. It's there in your notes if you want to look at it. It's the amount of money that you have left to spend after your living expenses and after other commitments you have made. With the idea last week is this, that the first thing to get a hold of this, we have to commit to have a margin in our finances. So how does that look? Remember, uh, for a little review, we said that our money chart goes like this, that over here on this side is the money and should be going up for most of us as years go on, as our occupations and our careers go. Here's the timeline of our lives that as we live longer, our money kind of goes like this as far as our income, normally, overall. Now, to create the margin, we got to realize, and last week we talked about it, and that is this, as this is your income line, you also have a spending line. And what we got to learn is that we don't parallel that here as we go on. Most Americans do. In fact, most Americans not only parallel, they kick it up about another 10 to 15%. Average American today lives about 15% every year over their income. You say, that's magic. No, it's called credit cards. And that's not magic because it all comes home sooner or later. And you think, well, as I get more money, I'll catch up with it. You won't. You never do. Income doesn't make the margin. 
All right? You do not create a financial margin by gaining more money. You create it by your spending. And so instead of this spending line going up here and this margin is getting above your income and it keeps getting larger because your debt keeps getting bigger, you decide, number one, in my money, I'm going to make a commitment to have a margin below my income. I'm going to spend less than I take in. And now the margin's on the proper side. And with that commitment, it never feels good, does it? You start the, the, this whole plan with a decision, I'm going to do this, and it's not going to feel easy, and it's going to take some work, and it's going to be painful for some of you, because you're going to have to make some adjustments, okay? And with those adjustments, you start to create a margin here that I'm going to live in my spending below what I make, and you decide whatever that is. That's going to do 10%, 15% below what I make, and I'm going to live below that, and that's the margin, that you want in your life. So you live on a percentage of what you earn. Hopefully, you're living below what you earn. Most folks aren't. So that's what we're trying to help you with. Because when you live above it, as many of you know, there's stress, there's tension, all kinds of fighting. I, I want to tell you, and the counseling I do, more than 50% of the time with couples, it's a money matter. Always. It's a money matter. It's a shame that kids will leave home, go off to college, and the memories they have of mom and dad are memories of grouchy, cranky, arguing people. Never enough time for them because all they're doing is dealing with money. And the kid leaves home with that memory of mom and dad, all right? Because mom and dad lived up here rather than down here. To get down here, you start with a commitment. You don't start with contentment. Some people think, well, you know, I think contentment comes first, and when I get happy, I'll be able to start the, 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 the commitment level. No. Contentment always follows commitment. And you're erring your thinking. You think, well, you know, as soon as I get enough and I get happy with all my stuff, then I'll start forming this margin here. That's faulty thinking. Because, you see, if you're already living up here, there's never enough. You always want one more thing. You always want one more trip, one more vacation, one more purchase, and it's just never satisfying. You think, no, someday I will, and I'll get content, then I can start saving, and before you know it, you know, I'll have all this pile of money, and I'll come to the point where, you know, I'll just be tired of going to the French Riviera every summer, and I'll get tired of the brand new cars and all the gadgets and all the nice things. And I'll be able to start giving and, and doing what I sh should and helping other people. That will never happen if you're waiting to get there without first making a hard decision of commitment that I'm going to live below my income. You say, that's tough. I, th how am I going to do that? You know, I'm already spending everything I got. That's right. That's why we have people in our church who will help you who will sit down with you, the people who have gone through financial peace, university, and say, this is what you got to do. And it could be painful. You say, I have to adjust my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I, that means I might have to stop getting a luxury car. Yeah. And I might not, right. Well, I, what do you want? You want to ride around in a fancy, shiny car while you're miserable? And you want to have that extra big house while your kids hate you? Is that better than going through the pain 
of a downsize, readjustment, so that I can live below here and create a margin here. Now, what did we say last week? In this margin, I then begin to do two things. One, I set aside a percentage for savings. That's the part that I have to decide. I'm going to get my living, put some savings aside, and so that I have a margin when those things in life happen. And we don't panic. We don't fight. You know, we have a margin saved up, and that margin keeps growing for me. So we save, establish a percentage of our savings. And now this is the one that you think, this is really weird. I, I know what this is all about. And that is I put a percentage for our giving. You say, if I'm not living like, no, we're going to do that right now. And you say, oh, I knew this is a pitch for more money for the church, isn't it? No. Promise you, know my heart. It's not. It's about an impact on your heart to spiritually get you going where you change your whole thinking about money. And you do it by getting outside of yourself, contributing and investing in the kingdom of God and in other people rather than just yourself. You say, no, it's about the money. No, I promise you, Sherman Bible Church has had a history for 30-something years of being able to financially pretty stable. I'm not here to raise more money for our church. In fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't want to give money to our church, that's fine. I say, whoever it is, if you're a Christ follower, give it somewhere. You say, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, a little un, I'm not sure about this place. Good. Give it somewhere else. You know, I'll give you a bunch of churches in town that need money. You know, I'll give you some missionaries that need money. I'm not trying to get more money for us. God will take care of Sherman Bible. What I'm trying to do is get your heart changed from about you and yourself to about God and his kingdom and live outside yourself and watch your whole heart and your thinking change. All right? Let me show you how this works. I went and pulled all my savings out today. Got $10. And this is how this whole thing works. You can bring home your $10 every week, your money, whatever it is. Put any zeros on there you need, but we'll just use 10. That's simple. And so the first 10 you do, you put over here in savings. Okay? You put it right there. Second dollar, you put over here, and that second dollar, to God. Wherever you want to put it. But just make sure God gets it. And then you're going to give two to the government. At least. All right? But on this one, we're going to give two. You say, I don't like the government. <laughs> I don't like the way they spend my money. I don't either. I don't like trillions of dollars going, you know, like that. But that's not my choice. Because God says what? Pay Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Didn't put a lot of qualifications on that, did he? As a Christ follower, I do pay my taxes. And you say, well, I don't, but you know what? Let's be honest. We're blessed as a nation in spite of <laughs> politicians, okay? We are still blessed, aren't we? We have highways we drive on. We have police. We have armies. We have protection. So in spite of all that we might feel individually, we still pay taxes, okay? Now I've got $6 left. Now you can do whatever you want. If you want to take that dollar and put it on the house, you can. If you want to take that dollar and put it on a car, you can. If you want to take that dollar and buy some more gadgets and gadgets, you can. If you want to put a dollar in food, you can. You know, you can put those other six wherever you want, but you know what you've just done? You've changed everything because you've put 
God first. You've put your future there, taking care of your future needs and your family rather than living at the limit every time. You've taken care of the government and taking care of others is what, part of the, what the government does. And now you have $6 to do whatever you want. If you don't do that and you're still here spending and you're up here, this $10 will never be enough. It'll never be enough because you always want one more. But when you reverse your thinking, a percentage for your savings, a percentage for God, and then you take the rest and be a good steward of it, your whole heart and your mind starts to change. All right? That was kind of where we were last week, talking about establishing the fact that what I need to do first is that I need to commit a decision to create a margin. All right? Parents, by the way, this is a little rabbit trail, okay? The sooner you can teach little Johnny and Mary about percentage living, the better parent you're going to be and the better you're going to make that kid. All right? So what do you do? Let's just say you have little, little urchins around your home there. And you, and you give them an allowance. And I hate to use the word give. You have them earn an allowance. Can we say earn? Good, okay? That won't hurt your kids. All right? The little precious things. You have them what? do what for an allowance? Yeah, work ethic. What an idea. You have them clean up their little garbage room. They do it, okay? Not mama, not daddy. You know, they do whatever it is that you decide that they're going to earn their $10 that week or whatever amount you're going to do. They're going to earn it. And then you're going to teach them the same thing. Little Johnny, the first dollar you give to God. Okay? I learned that at 12 when I first became a Christian. And so that first dollar out of that $10 I made that week wasn't, didn't seem too bad. In fact, I was like, can I do more? And my mom said, no, just a dollar will be enough. It's okay. I started doing that with 10, and now at my million-dollar income every year. <laughs> you believe that, don't you? That's where that budget. You know, as it's gone up over the years, that first one wasn't hard. In fact, it's not even the first one anymore. It's the first couple that we give to God now and more. So you start with your kids. Say, Johnny, the first one goes to God. Now you have nine. Maybe you ought to put some of that over here in a little savings. So that when Johnny comes and he wants that new iPod deal or the new Xbox or the new little gadget and gadget, you say, Johnny, what do you have over there to buy it with? Buy it? Yeah, I've been giving, you've been earning money. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been at the movies eating junk food and all that. Well, there went your iPod. You just ate your iPod. <laughs> Checking your belly. There it is. You see? You'll do more for your kids rather than giving and pampering them, making them earn their allowance, and then manage their allowance. I mean, how many parents teach their kids that? Evidently, your parents didn't, right? Because America's living on about 110, 115%. Someone didn't teach America that. So, there you go, parents. You can pay me after church for that little thought, Okay. So that's what we've been demonstrating and trying to say as we go through this. It's principle number two today. Principle number one, 
You create a margin and you make a commitment to it. And you'll do whatever you have to get that expense down because income's not going to change it. Only expense changes and creates the margin. Principle number two, and that is this. You make a, a, a commitment in your, to, to head towards con, contentment. And here's how it all starts. To be content. To be content with what God gives you with the remaining part of that. So we're content with what remains. And the first part of that is this. That your material dealings reveal your internal condition. You say, what are you saying? Your material dealings, how you deal with money, how you spend it, how you, how you save it, what you do with it, that only reveals one thing. What is it? What's inside? Money is neutral. Do you know that? It's not bad or good. It doesn't make you evil, money. Do you know that? What makes you evil is your heart and your thinking and what's inside and what you do with it. So all money does, how you're spending it, only reveals what's inside, your values and what's going on in your heart. That's all it does. You say, prove that to me. I knew you were going to ask that. Matthew, all right? Matthew chapter 6. There's a Bible in front of you. Matthew's in the middle of the Bible there in the New Testament. It's on page 685. If you're new, we always tell you, take a Bible home with you. It's our gift. So you can read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You who have the red letters, you know this is Jesus. And here it goes. Verse 19, chapter 6. Do not, he says, store up, gather, store, collect, put so much energy in, treasures. He says, for yourself, treasures where? On earth. Now, what's going to happen to those treasures? Every treasure, the car, the house, the things, your portfolio, all the stuff you're gathering. He says, this is what's going to happen to it. Sooner or later, he says, moth and rust will destroy it, and thieves will break in, and they'll steal it. Number two, but store up for yourselves treasures on, in heaven, and notice what's going to happen there. Moth and rust, they can't bother. They do not destroy it. And where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the principle for where your, what's it say? Where your treasure is, he says, there's your heart. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's going to give us some illustrations in just a second to help us understand what he has just told us. So here's the matter. He's saying this in verse 19. He says, if you spend your time, your focus of your life, just on temporal matters, that's what controls your life in the dollar matter, things, accumulation, hanging on. If that's what you spend your time thinking about, how much I can get and that much more, and there's, there'll never be enough. He says, you know what? It, what you're really revealing about yourself in a moment is your heart, the person you are. You're revealing your identity. Because you see, your money's identifying what's really in here. You're revealing to yourself your values. And if you don't think that, you're self-deceived. If you spend your time, your energy on eternal things, people, 
relationships, the Word of God, prayer, ministry, loving folks. As you make your living, he says, you're storing up treasures in heaven. So here it is. This is how you figure it out. Follow your treasures. And at the end of it, you'll find your heart. Okay? Because that's where your heart's going to be, wherever you're treasuring. Things, gadgets, gadgets, the latest, the vacations that we just got to have. You follow those things that you treasure, and there's your heart. And what Jesus is saying is just follow your treasure, and you'll know who you are. Now, verse 22 He uses a metaphor, and you look at that, and it's kind of an analogy, and you scratch your head a little, but kind of follow here what he says. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But, remember, this is a metaphor, okay? He says, but, he says, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... The light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? What's Jesus saying here? Well, he takes the physical eye and he says, this is what the purpose is. It allows light. It gives you a a sense of what's going on around you in your environment. You pull in what's going on around you through your eye gates. And if it's clear and bright, you get a good perception. You see well what's happening. If it's dark, he says things are dim. You don't, you know, you're not going to get as much light into the body, you won't understand as much. Last year, I had cataract surgery, okay? They only do one eye at a time. That way, if they mess up, you at least got a good eye left, all right? <laughs> that's, at least that's what Bill Plache told me when he did it. And uh, So here's the deal. He did the first eye, took the cataract off, and not only that, he put in what we call a, uh, a lens. And this lens is an artificial lens now, and... Uh, now, you know, I went home after a day when everything was over. And I started to be able to see through it. I looked through that eye and said, whoa, whoa. There was a difference between the eye that had been cleared from the cataract and the lens that had been put in. I mean, it was bright and clear. I didn't realize how dark my life was. You know, this side was yellow and dark. And I thought, whoa. I looked at trees in our, out on our property and they looked totally different. Jesus is using that. So what is he saying? What do you think, Dennis, does he mean here? This is what Dennis thinks. I think he's saying your eyes represent your desires, what you're bringing in, what you're seeing, represents your appetite about what's going on about you. And I think what Jesus is saying when he gives this little entry point here of this illustration is this, that If it's darkness, if your eyes are on the dark things, greed, covetousness, always wanting stuff that's laid up on earth, he says it's just revealing how dark it is down in here. But if your eyes are bright and they're clear and they're focused upon the things that God wants, it's revealing that down inside you is a bright light of Christ and your, your values are right. Now, he goes on here. And uh, he uses a verse that when I first read it years ago, I thought I was talking about 
God's deal, but it's really talking about man. Notice what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will, ha he will, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and, and despise the other. And then he says it. This is the conclusion of what he's been trying to say. You cannot serve both God and money. All right? So here's what Jesus is saying here. It's not that God can't handle that. God's big. You don't, you know, you don't threaten God about masters. But you know what he's saying? We do not have the human capability of serving two things. We just can't do it. We can't focus on two things and really serve. We're incapable of doing that. Any single guys here? Raise your hand. Admit to it. You might find somebody today. Come on. How many guys are saying, high school guys, whoever, college, come on, I got, we got more than that here. Yeah, some of you don't want to admit it, but here it is. You're single, try this. Next Friday night, bring two gals over the house. <laughs> one on each, each side of you on the couch. Look at one while you're sitting there, say, honey, oh, baby, I love you. You're everything. You're the most beautiful woman in the world, and I can't live without you. Then turn to the next one and say, honey, baby, I love you too. You're the most beautiful thing in the world. I can't live without you. And then tell me how that goes. <laughs> you say, I don't think it's going to work. I know it's not going to work. And you know it won't work. <laughs> Women aren't capable of that. And you're not capable of that either. And that's all Jesus is saying. You either got to focus your life around things that are eternal or things that are temporal. Now, so principle number one, when it comes to contentment, your material dealings reveal your heart. Here's the principle number two. You ready? And that is this. Your baseline determines your level of satisfaction. Your baseline determines your level of satisfaction. Drop that thought on your paper. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's on page 841, 1 Timothy chapter 6. While you're turning there, let's just kind of backtrack now what Jesus said. He says, look, lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, get your focus upon things that are eternal. Trust me with it. If you're always focusing on temporal things, they're going to pass away. Guess what? Your heart's going to be going like this. I can't get enough money. Why? Because you're fearful. And you're fearful that you have to have enough to keep in control. And you know what that is? Listen real close. That's an issue of the gospel. Now, remember back some months ago we talked about the gospel? There is the gospel that's a body of truth. Jesus lived, died on a cross, rose, and he, became, and he was our sacrifice. That's the, the content of the gospel. But remember, it's more than that. It's Jesus living in us, the gospel living in us, this living Christ living in us. So consequently, what? If our focus is on the worldly thing and acquiring and keeping and worrying about it all the time, we have just said what? I can't trust you, God. I can't trust you by following your principles. I have to have more. And when fear and control comes in, it's a gospel issue. You say, Dennis, you know, I, I really, it's not money. You know, I don't really, I'm not real worried about money. But, you know, I just, I just need a little more. I don't want my kid to show up at school without fashion design clothes. 
And I can't have him driving a car to school that's less than the other kids and not having enough electronical stuff like the other kids. Or, or you know, he just will be a little, feel a little below everybody, and I just can't have that. And I say, why? Well, because it'll be a bad reflection on me. You know what we call that? Pride. And pride's a gospel issue. It's an issue of the gospel in our lives. You see, if we have to have just the right stuff all the time and we go beyond the margin on this side, we're living up here because we've got to have all the stuff. That is a gospel issue of fear, control, pride. Saying, you know, I, 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 this is my identity up here. We're identified by the house we live in, the cars we drive. I love going to stoplights and sitting at a stoplight. The guy over there in his high dollar whatever it is, Beamer, Mercedes, whatever he's looking at, he looks over at me in scorn at that 10-year-old pickup with all the scratches on it. And I look at him and I say, I don't have to wash it this weekend. <laughs> and I'm proud. <laughs> you know? I mean, some of you, you know, last year you tried to get me to turn it in for, you know, cash for clunkers, you know, and I just said, no, I ain't doing that. Because my identity is not in my truck. And you say, I, 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 I hope not. It's not in the house I live in. You see, because you see, if your identity is up here and the things you have, you're, you're always going to go on the limit, over the limit. You're always going to have that stress. And truthfully, that is a gospel issue. You're saying, my identity is not in Christ, and I'm complete and satisfied in him. My identity comes in what I have. Thus, I have to have more. I've got to get the extra bedroom for, the, every, for Johnny and for all the kids. Who said you do? Well, he has to have his own room. Why? Well, so they won't be arguing all the time. Why? So you don't have to put up with them. That's why. And so some of us go beyond our limits in the house just so little Johnny can't, that doesn't have to share a bedroom with Bobby. You know what the number one problem is at the University of Texas, according to my son, who's been down there several years now ministering? He said the number one problem at the University of Texas and freshman students is the inability to get along with their roommates in the dorm. I wonder why. <laughs> because they had their own room. And they had their own room at home. Why? Because mom and dad wanted it. Why? Because pride, identity. And it took them over their limits when it came to buying a house. And mom and dad are grouchy and the kid left home with grouchy mom and dad. All right? So here it is. Your baseline determines your level of living. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. Uh, verse 10. Excuse me. No, verse 6. That's it. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you say, what are you talking about baseline? I'm saying this. You say you have to determine what is the baseline of life. The baseline of life is what we would call the minimum that you have to live on, to survive. Paul tells you what that is in the next verse or so. What's he tell you it is? He says, if we have food and we have clothing... If we have food and if we have clothing, Paul says, that's great. That's the baseline. 
He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing in this world. Always remember that. He didn't bring a thing in. And guess what Paul says? He's not taking nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul says, there's the baseline, your basic needs. All right? And until that becomes the baseline for your life, you're not going to find contentment. Paul says the baseline is the basic needs of our life. Now, there's a myth wedged in this verse too because we're talking about contentment the myth wedged in this passage is in verse 5 go back up to verse 5 and look at it because this is being taught by some and it's a myth and that is this he says he says in constant friction between men of corrupt minds earthly minds who have been robbed of the truth and here's the myth they think that godliness is a means of financial gain. You say, what's the myth? The myth is the theology that some of you even believe, and it's preached on television, and that is this, that if I'm godly and I do certain things, I give and I, and I pay my taxes and I'm a good person and I, uh, and I get involved in ministry, then God will bless me with financial gain. No. It's not even what he's... You know, God blesses you with contentment, you see, not financial gain. And he says there is great, and that's why he says in verse 6 now, as you understand verse 5, why he says in verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. Not financial gain, great gain. So I said, what does great gain mean? So I go over and pull out all my Greek stuff, and I look there. Is there something in Greek I'm missing? Is there some special thing here? You know what great gain is? Great gain. It's a generic term. It has nothing to do with the dollar. That godliness with contentment is great gain. What great gain? Freedom from that fear that I've lived with. Freedom from my pride. Freedom with my identity of things that I can be godly. And that's going to give me great gain of having identity with Christ and give me contentment. That's what it is. And we do that by what? Saying this is the baseline. And the baseline is what? Your basic needs. Now, if your eyes are always roaming upon what the culture says, you've got to have more, then your eyes are going to be dark and your contentment will never be there. Keep going. Verse 9 and 10. Here's the warning. The warning after telling us in, in, that there is great gain, in verse 9 he says this. He says, people who want to get rich... That's where their eyes are roaming. They fall in temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the accumulation of wanting more of that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Brokenness, tension, corruption. And he says some people eager for money, thinking that that's what it's all about. They have wandered from the faith even, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. When you think money is going to satisfy your soul and all the things that it brings, you're just fooling yourself because out there are a lot of griefs that people experience. Now, you say, Dennis, that means we all need to be poor. No. Don't have to be poor. 
You've got to be content. You've got to say, this is the baseline. Here's the baseline. This is what I make. I will live down here meeting my basic needs. Now, God has blessed a lot of people through their jobs that their baseline and their ability to bring in this income is higher. And they might be able to do a little more. And that's fine. But if this is where you are, whether you make 30000 whether you make 50000 100000 300000 a million, whatever this is, you have to learn, I'm going to live below that so that I have a margin to do what God wants me to do and to give to others and to help and not be tied that I have to live above that. I have friends, wish I had more of them, who God has blessed tremendously. I have a friend in California, I think I haven't checked in in five or six years, but his name is Don Lynn. Many years ago, Don Lynn started just selling produce. Next thing you know, he got produce warehouse. Next thing you know, he had trucks taking produce all over Northern California. Next thing you know, God blessed that, and he said, I think I'll do some building. Started building houses. Next thing you know, Don was just rolling in seven-figure personal income every year. But guess what Don did? At that time, his income prior to all that was about 60000 a year, and he said, that's the baseline. And as the seven figures came in, John, he said, I'm just going to adjust that 60000 by the cost of living every year. And that's where he stayed. He said, I got a house. I got a car. I got a three-bedroom house. I don't need any more. And guess what he did? He made a choice with what came in to give it all away. Just give it away. There's youth camps, missionaries all over the world. Because Don said, my baseline's enough. You know, that's all I need. Not everybody will do that. But you see, contentment comes when you say, this is the baseline, and I'm going to live there. I'm not going to keep looking for more. I'm going to live there, and if God bless me, that can go up, and I'm going to live below that on a margin. Now, here's the truth. So the myth is what? The myth is more is better, isn't it? The myth is more is better. I mean, everything we get has a consequences. Every addition, do you know that? Everything we add to our life. For instance, let's just give a simple illustration. Cell phones. Anybody have one? You turned it off, didn't you? All right. Cell phones. Parents say, well, my kid needs a cell phone so he can call home. Yeah, I know that. I mean, like, that's okay. I mean, but what did we do years ago? I don't know. You know, my mom just yelled. and said, get home. All right. But. So we give our kid a cell phone, and then we're ticked at him because he sits there at dinner just texting all the time, and you can't even get his attention. There's your consequence. And then what have we done to our cell phones? Then we put cameras on them. And Drew, you probably know this, found out this week, 13% of all teenagers today who have cell phones with cameras, sex texts. They take pictures. And they send them to their friends of themselves illicit pictures. That means in our student ministry today, there's probably, I tried to figure, probably about 175 teenagers on this campus today before the day's over. That means that 23%, 23 of those students are sex texting, according to statistics. Everything we think is more is better always has some type of consequences to it. Some are good, many more bad. Let me ask you a question. Last question. Say to God in closing today, God, 
What does my money tell you about me? What does my money, God, tell you about me? He already knows. You're just asking that question for yourself because you're trying to follow the treasures back to your heart. Two principles about the margin of money to create it. One, I have to make a commitment for that margin to live below that income at whatever margin you decide, 10, 20% below it. So you can use that margin when you need it and for the things of God. Second thing is to deal with the fact of contentment by establishing a baseline that leads to godliness, not to a dark eye, but to an eye that's light with the treasures of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand that contentment doesn't come because we get more. Contentment comes when we draw the baseline, we live below it, and we live on the basics and then allow you to bless beyond that so that we're thankful for everything above that baseline rather than being greedy and wanting more. In Christ's name I pray, amen.